Thank you for joining the Once Changing the World, which is India's first Future Tech Meets Sustainability podcast. And today I'm delighted and honored to have with me Dr. Alison Motri, who's a professor in the Department of Pediatrics and Cellular and Molecular Medicine at the University of California. He's a member of the Stanford Consortium for Regenerative Medicine, founder of TSMU, the first laboratory in the world dedicated exclusively to personalized medicine for autism spectrum disorder and other autism-related neurological disorders with a genetic origin. Dr. Mutri is studying the brain from an evolutionary and developmental perspective, differentiating stem cells to recreate brain organoids in the controlled setting of a lab. This work has implications for the generation of human disease models by determining the molecular and cellular mechanisms, driving neurologically complex disorders such as autism. It is also creating opportunities for identifying and testing novel therapeutic approaches. So, Doctor, really appreciate you taking time and being part of a humble podcast. Why don't we start with a little background, your work, the, the mini brain or brain organoids that uh, you're working on. Thank you so much for having me. My, my pleasure to, to talk about our work. Yeah, so the brain organoids are stem cell derived uh, uh, tissues that you can create in the lab. So these are artificial tissues um, that we induce the stem cells uh, to mimic uh, the pathway that uh, the brain does during development. So we are basically uh, replaying neurodevelopment in a dish so we can follow all the stages. Uh, the beauty of the process is that uh, the cells are genetically pre-programmed to do that. So they know what to do. It's not that we need to um, uh, to teach them all the steps, how to migrate, how to form the cortex, things like that. Uh, they know how to do it. Uh, so we just kickstart the process um, by adding some chemicals uh, to the cells. The cells receive the signaling, and then they start to differentiate or to specialize in the brain tissues. And over the years, we have been um, uh, uh, optimizing the protocol. So we have these uh, three-dimensional structures that not only resemble um, the human fetal embryonic brain, um, but, but very recently uh, we got to the point where uh, they can generate these uh, microcircuitries that mimics um, exactly the preterm development in humans. How cool is this? You know, but I mean, you know, before we, we get into you know this this topic further, I, I want to bring the audience. I mean, you know, give them a little understanding of how do you go about building this brain organoids that you're talking about. You using stem cells with induced pluripotent stem cells. Talk talk about the process. How how does this work? And, and once you kind of build these mini brains, you, you know, what what are the applications of these brain organoids? Yeah, so these are great questions. Um, so you can create uh, the brain organoids from human pluripotent stem cells, and there are two flavors from them. One is a uh, human embryonic stem cells. These are stem cells that you can isolate directly from the human blastocyst. Most of the time, we acquire those cells uh, through in vitro fertilization clinics uh, who dispose the known used blastocyst um, uh, to the science so we can remove the embryonic cells from, from them. Um, another common source is to use, as mentioned, human-induced uh, pluripotent stem cells. These are stem cells that we can reprogram from a live person. You and me, um, I can take like a, a small piece of your skin, for example, or, or your blood or your dental pulp, and I can reprogram the cells back to this embryonic-like stage. And from that stage, I can create um, these uh, brain organoids. So there are, there are many uses for that. I mean, the main reason why we do that is because 
um, we don't know how the human brains form. Um, and this is because it's very inaccessible. So it happens inside the uterus of a woman. Um, so we don't have no invasive technologies to visualize how the cells migrate, how the cells start to connect to each other, how the first synapses are formed, why the first neurons fire. So we have really basic fundamental questions about uh, the oranges of the human brain that we have no idea. It's a black box. I mean, um, for years, uh, research has been extrapolating the knowledge from a mouse embryo. But the mouse brain is fully formed like in 20 days. Uh, and the human brain takes the whole nine months um, and is still not fully formed when we are born. Um, so it's, it's a long process. And uh, because of these developmental differences, it's quite important um, to learn from the human material. So the brain organoids allow us to look into the brain formation without having to go inside the uterus. So we can basically recreate the brain outside the uterus and follow all the process. Um, and, and that's what we're doing. So we are learning how the brain is formed. Um, now, for example, if I compare this process um, from a neuro, neurotypical person, you and me, uh, compared to someone who has a neurological condition, I can now understand how the neurological conditions appears. And if I understand how that happens, I can perhaps mitigate or I can, I can block or I can treat uh, that condition. Um, and by the way, that's the reason why we don't have good treatments for neurological conditions. I mean, you can probably notice that we have good treatments now for heart conditions, for infectious diseases, um, uh, for uh, uh, blood disorders, uh, because these are accessible tissues. We can, we can study them right away. But the brain remains like a, 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 big, um, a big challenge because of its inaccessibility. So that's why this, uh, um, this tool is so powerful. There are many other uh, 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 opportunities that we can use this technology. Um, for example, if we learn how the brain computes, uh, we could perhaps uh, improve artificial intelligence to become more human-like. Uh, we can study brain evolution. Uh, we can study what's the impact of environmental factors in your brain. Um, we can uh, uh, improve how the brain works um, uh, in, in, in many things. We can compare our brains with other species. So there's really um, a vast array of applications that we can do with these brain organoids. Thank you for sharing that with us, Doctor. It's, it's fascinating. You say that you take the stem cell and then you put in a petri dish and it evolves into a 3D brain organoid. It's, it's fascinating that the stem cell has the data of what a brain could look like or, or, or develop into, you know, how fascinating is, is that? That itself is something, you know, it, it, you're unable to fathom because, you know, the brain, like you mentioned, it's a black box, you know, is doing some really, really crazy things. You know, the 80 billion neurons are 100 trillion synapses, the way it fires and wires, it creates all all our senses, but yet we know so little. But I, I think there's some crazy scientists out there such as yourself doing some really, really crazy things, you know, when it comes to you know understanding that black box and possibly creating these applications now you said that you know from learnings of these uh, the, the the brain organoids you are able to kind of you know understand why there is a cert certain neurological disorder now you you guys have been at the forefront of understanding autism in fact you know there was this uh, recent news uh, which i read that uh, uh, 
through a gene therapy uh, it, it can reverse effects of pitt hopkins sy syndrome which is a form of autism linked mutation in human brain organoids could could you kind of uh, elaborate on that because there's millions in the world who are suffering from autism I, is this is this like a ray of hope for possibly you know th those autistic patients yeah so that's uh, I, 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 it's one of these uh, 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 results uh, that we are very happy to see um, as you mentioned, um, there are millions of people suffering from autism, and autism is very heterogeneous. Uh, so there is different types of autism, and Pete Hopkins is a very severe form of autism. So these are people um, who are very dependent. Uh, they don't talk, they don't speak, they don't have uh, mobility, uh, mobility. They are in a wheelchair. They have gastrointestinal problems. So their life is it, it's really hard. Um, so if you can find a way to understand how mutations in, in that gene, it's called TCF4, causes Pete Hopkins, um, maybe we can, we, we can interfere with that. And that's what we did with the brain organoid. So we, we created brain organoids uh, from people uh, carrying the TCF4 mutation from Pete Hopkins uh, patients. And what we realized is that their brain organoid doesn't form correctly. And because it doesn't form correctly, it has all the consequences of not functioning well. Um, so that was, uh, per se, a big surprise to see that we can recapitulate so well uh, this neurodevelopmental condition. And then we ask the other thing, what if we put the corrected gene back inside this brain organoid? Will the brain organoid now start to functioning like a neurotypical, like a control brain organoid? And so we use a gene therapy approach, which is um, to place the correct version of the virus inside, um, the, the correct version of the gene inside a virus and use the virus to deliver the correct form of the gene inside uh, the brain cells, inside the organoids. And um, they do that very efficiently. So they um, infect the neurons and they transfer the correct version of the gene. And by doing that, they were able to express the right gene. And suddenly all the developmental process that we saw for Pete Hopkins were gone. They were basically indistinguishable from the controls. So this is um, very powerful because it brings hope that uh, we can perhaps apply that same technology to humans. And that's exactly where we are now. We are taking this, this idea, this technology, and um, starting a clinical trial with real people so we can infect their brains and see if the same effect that we see in the organoids will help, in the, uh, will help them um, uh, to overcome the developmental process um, that causes the condition. So there is major challenges now. A brain organoid is not just a miniaturized version of the brain. So it's a, it's a tiny thing. It has like 5 million cells. As you pointed out, the human brain has eight, 86 billion cells. So the orders of magnitude, um, it's, um, it's, a, it's a challenge. So we have to infect way more cells. Um, the, uh, the organoid doesn't have all the brain structures. The human brain is very complex, have all the different structures, and is fully connected with the rest of the body. Um, so we anticipate that we're going to have to face some of these challenges uh, for this technology to be translated. But nonetheless, we think that by starting this uh, clinical trial, we're already going to learn so much and we can improve along the way. Um, this is one of the same uh, things as um, uh, experimental uh, biologists have done, for example, blood transfusion. In the beginning, blood transfusion was um, uh, uh, was not successful. We could not uh, save people by doing that. The same thing for organ transplantation, heart transplant. The first patient died 
the second patient die. And then we start learning how to do that better and better. And then we start um, saving lives. So science has to pass to this experimental phase until we get to a stage where uh, we know what we're doing. We're learning from our mistakes and, um, and we start saving uh, people's lives. Uh, congratulations to you and your team, uh, doctor, because I, I guess there's millions in, in this world who are waiting for, you know, what what would could be like a miracle therapy, you know, you know, for the parents uh, who who have their children who, who are suffering uh, with uh, autism. Could you kind of elaborate on the clinical trial? Could you could you share updates? And you mentioned that, you know, these brain organoids have around 5 million cells. What would it take to, you know, create a brain organoids that resembles a or the human brain, because the human brain is extremely complex. You know, it's got these various subdivision parts, and it is responsible for a, 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 a cognitive uh, output. Is the brain organoid that you built, which uh, with those five million cell, does it resemble a certain part of the human brain? Yeah. So that these are all great questions. Let me start with the first one. So the clinical trial, where we are now, so we are taking that same virus that carries the correct form of the gene, and uh, we are testing uh, in monkeys uh, to make sure that there is no toxicity. Because we, since we are moving to people, now we have a immune system. We have the whole body that's going to see those virus. So we, not, we need to make sure that there is no side effects. So we do that in monkeys, um, and uh, we analyze those monkeys, see how they um, support this virus. Once we see that there is no side effect, um, then we can move into people. So that process uh, might take a year or so. And then we start the real clinical trial. So that means that we have to manufacture um, those viruses in a very clean facility. So there is no contaminants in there. And then um, we will be testing into people. So that's, that's where we are with the clinical trial. Um, so you mentioned about um, the brain organoid. So the, the tissue that we have, these 5 million cells, uh, surprisingly, they reproduce really well uh, pieces of the brain. And uh, we have been focusing on the cortex um, because the cortex is this uh, region in, in, in the forebrain that, um, that uh, actually helps with uh, cognition um, in, in your social life and all the high functioning uh, activities that um, your body performs. So we, uh, it's an essential part of, uh, of, of the human body and the human brain. That's why we, we choose to start there. Um, but we have protocols to other pieces as well. So one thing that um, we are learning how to do is how to create a disorganized containing multiple pieces of the brain so we can increase the complexity. So what are the challenges here? Uh, one major challenge that we have um, is vascularization. As the brain grows and as we add more cells, um, we need a vascular system. And the vascular system is not part of the brain. So it happens in parallel. So we have to learn how to vascularize the brain organoids um, so it can grow together. It can grow by ascending the nutrients inside the organoids. The reason why uh, right now they are so tiny, they can go up to 0.5 centimeter in diameter. It's because there is no vascularization. So they don't receive the nutrients inside of this uh, sphere um, and the cells inside start to become necrotic after a while. So they don't produce more cells to continue to grow. Now, if we add the vascularization, then we can, in theory, 
grow as much um, as uh, the size of the human brain. Um, and if we learn all the, uh, the chemical protocols to create all the different brain regions, in theory, yes, we could recreate the entire brain um, in, in a dish. And um, to be honest, that's the ultimate goal of the research is to be able to create uh, the entire brain so we can learn from the entire process. As we increase this complexity, there's another challenge that comes together, which is the ethical challenge. Um, uh, you might uh, imagine that at one point, if you are uh, getting closer and closer to the human brain, um, the functional aspect of the brain is to become self-aware. So they might acquire a level of consciousness. Um, it might not happen now, but in, in a future, that might be a consequence of this complexity. And that raises some ethical and even moral uh, questions. How do we grow them? Do they have a moral status? How do we discard these entities? These are entities that are not in the philosophy books. I mean, I asked my philosophers and, uh, and, 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 and colleagues about that, and they said, well, we never studied that because it doesn't um, exist in our books. So this is a new class of um, uh, being that we need to, to learn how to deal with them. So, um, and that's why I like to, to grow the sciences together with the bioethicists. Um, so we are always in constant check of this technology and making sure that we are discussing this with the society. Uh, so there is no pushback on this technology because at the end of the day, I mean, the goal is really to, um, to save lives. And, and there are millions of people suffering from neurological conditions. So that's, that's where we are now. Right. Yeah. You mentioned about the ethical and moral implications uh, which could uh, arise, you know, with, you know, these brain organoids becoming self-aware. But if you go to see, I mean, currently, I, I think we are pushing the boundaries of what what we termed impossible, you know, if, if, with uh, the field of artificial intelligence, you know, we are working on creating self-aware uh, uh, robots and uh, self-aware machines, possibly, possibly maybe in the next couple of decades, we might be having machines that could have maybe, maybe not just think like us, but also possibly be conscious entities. There are already teams around the world who are working on xenobots and, and, and there's some crazy innovation. I, I guess instead of curbing innovation, we need to you know find a common ground or involve people from around the world. So we create a conversation on how do we approach this, uh, the, the, these boundaries or borders that we, we are pushing in a very collaborative way. I think there needs to be a larger conversation rather than what's been happening is that, you know, most of the innovation is happening from US because I think it's the mecca of innovation in science. I mean, but I think the, the things are changing very, very fast. There's some insane innovation growth happening in China and and and, and so in India. So so in, in, in this world, which is growing, growing rapidly that there is so much downsides of our health you know we, we are questioning on can we uh, you know reverse age these are these are deep questions and instead of shying away from them or, or uh, you know having these religious uh, blinders we, we, we need to you know push beyond because it's an eventuality that in the next few decades we will be getting into the future where we'll have tools in our hand and resources which 
could give us the potential to possibly reverse age you know reverse these diseases you know and possibly create uh, uh, you know these conscious entities yes so i think we, we need to have a a, a collaborative uh, concerted uh, conversation towards towards this future now for for these these uh, at least for understanding of brain or you, we we have devices such as eeg emgs to kind of understand uh, the structural and functional capabilities of a brain how does it work with a brain organoid which is so minuscule which has got only 5 million cells and you also mentioned in the course of conversation it's creating these microcircuitry how do you kind of understand what's what's happening over there yeah so um yeah i mean th this is a challenge why we do have good tools to analyze how the brain works you mentioned eeg mri things like that um so the brain organoids is really tiny so we also have, uh, which I think is an opportunity, but also um, a, a challenge, which is to de develop tools to analyze these uh, brain organoids. So we have to rely on um, tiny microelectrodes that we can uh, place uh, on the outside of these uh, organoids um, and, 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 and record from them, or um, to go and, and, and use probes that can go deep inside uh, of the tissue of the organoid, so it can record from those neurons and start learning. Um, so yeah, so we have to develop the technology as we go. Um, so together, um, this is absolutely essential. So sometimes, um, the because the organoids are so tiny, we cannot use the tools that are that are available. So we have to step back and really design a tool so we can we can use the tool with the organoid. Um, we do that all the time and. And I'm so glad that now we have like bioprinters. Um, we have things that uh, really help us uh, to customize all this technology for the brain organoids. Um, so that's, um, it's, as you mentioned, things are moving really fast. And um, it's a really good moment now that we have the different technologies that are converging uh, on something. And the other thing is even on biology, we have genome editing. We have CRISPRs now that can help us to manipulate the genome and, um, and, and uh, manipulate the genome inside the organoids, uh, not only for gene therapy, but also to understand how the brain is wired um, so we can um, uh, learn more about ourselves. Um, and, and this is just because we are in a moment in time where all the science is converging. So we have bre breakthroughs on stem cell biology, breakthroughs on, on genomics, breakthroughs on uh, biotechnology that allows us to do that some really really exciting space now you mentioned that uh, that you're working on this gene therapy i, I know it, it, it's not right of me to ask you i mean the timelines but if if you had to kind of give give a timeline of you know bringing this to you know uh, patients uh, what what would be the timelines and uh, also talk about you know the the subject of autism you know because it's been linked to the gut and fecal treatments has proved beneficial but the research was done in a very small number of children so uh, uh, share your views on the the fecal treatment fecal transplant does that work and as a founder of TSMO which is the first laboratory in the world dedicated exclusively to personalized medicine for autism maybe talk about uh, the TSMO uh, organization yeah. also uh, so um, uh, uh, let me start with uh, the fecal transplant uh, yeah so uh, there is this idea that um, uh, your uh, gut brain axis is involved in, in autism uh, the scientific evidence is not strong most likely 
the same genes that are affecting your brains, affecting your gut. Uh, so it, I think what's happening is the brain is controlling the gut and the gut is not functioning well because, I mean, there is uh, these mutations related to autism. But some people, they think otherwise. They think that is the gut that's influencing your brain. Um, but again, I mean, the scientific evidence for that um, is, is not a lot. Um, and, and it's weak, uh, to be honest. Most of that is, it was done in, in mouse. So, but even though, I mean, it's a, it, it's a hot field and people are thinking, well, if you fix uh, the gut bacteria or the microbiome inside the gut, it might help the brain to functioning well, which is a crazy idea. But uh, people actually took that uh, to clinical trials. The problem with that is that uh, sometimes, I mean, you're, you're manipulating bacteria and uh, there has been death. Uh, of uh, patients on this clinical trial. So this is not without a risk. There is a high risk um, that you are um, uh, hurting the, the, the person by doing that. Um, and, and that's why things are slowing down on that scenario. It, we, I think it's still uh, worth to pay attention, but again, I think we need more science behind it to support those ideas. And I think it's not, it's not coming from the mouse. It has to come from, from human subjects. Um, Having said that, um, uh, I think the major, uh, the mainstream idea is that still um, your brain is affected by the mutations. And that's what our work with brain organoids is, is clearly showing. Because of those mutations, the brain is not functioning well and might affect all the other um, uh, tissues in, in your body. Um, so Tismo was born with this idea to start linking the genetic variants uh, for each individual because each individual carries private mutations. Um, and, uh, and, and try to understand using the brain organoids as an avatar to those individuals, how those genetic alterations actually changes how the brain functions, and then uses that to personalize the treatment. So what if we now find um, small molecules or, or even uh, repurposed drugs that could uh, help us uh, to mitigate the effects of these mutations? Um, so that's why... Um, we decided to make Tismo really focus on, on autism because it's so easy to get lost on so many uh, syndromes that we decided to focus on, on, on autism. So we are really expert on that um, because we understand what are the genes implicated. And uh, by using this technology, we can understand how they affect neurodevelopment and how to mitigate that using um, a, a drug treatment. Um, in the future, yeah, gene therapy is, uh, is our idea as well. So we, we usually look for uh, drugs that are already FDA approved. So we don't have to wait. So if you find a drug that can be repurposed, um, you can use right away. You can even use as a compassion uh, treatment uh, so that the doctor can prescribe. And indeed, uh, we have in Tismo several cases where we find the mutation and there is already drugs available for treatment of those kids. Uh, so we, we discuss with the doctors and um, we say, you know, I mean, because of this mutation, there is a drug that actually affects that. And um, we have cases that was uh, incredible. I mean, uh, untractable seizures in some kids. We do the sequencing, we fight the gene, and then we fight the medicine that can actually um, compensate the death of that gene. And then, boom, seizures are gone. So it's a major milestone for that patient just because they did the genome sequencing. Um, uh, something that's so simple as that. And um, if you have the trained eyes, you can look at the mutations and propose the treatment. It doesn't happen in all the cases. There are many cases where uh, there's nothing we can do, uh, 
Um, but eventually we do find cases where the treatment is already available. Um, so a gene therapy is, uh, is the dream if you have a single gene that is mutated and you can replace the gene um, by adding the, um, the right copy as we did for Pete Hopkins. So um, that's gonna be case by case because it depends on the gene. Some genes are too big, it cannot fit inside of tiny virus. Uh, so for those cases, we have to think uh, differently. We have to use uh, something else. But in the cases where the gene is small, uh, such as the TCF4 that can fit inside a virus, yeah, the, 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 the gene therapy is perhaps uh, the best way to go because it, it acts on the root of the problem. Uh, so if you fix that, um, you fix all the downstream consequences of the molecular pathway and the cellular abnormalities and then the circuitry uh, abnormalities um, that we have um, on, on, on these brains. Um, so for the P.T. Hopkins, I mean, we really uh, are pushing hard on that. And uh, we were fortunate to team up with uh, um, a company that has the resources uh, to do all the uh, toxicology testing really fast. Uh, so we are anticipating starting clinical trials uh, in uh, two or three years. And then if the clinical trials are going well, I mean, um, we just increase the number of patients to gain confidence that this treatment is working. And then we can start to commercialize. So I'm assuming that we're going to see that in our lifetime. So if you have a kid with P.T. Hopkins now, you likely benefit from a gene therapy uh, approach if everything goes well. I really hope so. And we wish you and, and, and the, the team the very best. Uh, uh, doctor, would you like to share any uh, updates on, on the brain organoids? I mean, you know, is it being leveraged for drug discovery or other neurological conditions? Yeah, we are now uh, just my lab. And then there are other labs also working uh, with other conditions. Uh, but just my lab, we have, I, I think, about 25 conditions. These are uh, uh, genetic conditions where we know that the genes is affected, uh, that we are modeling uh, on, uh, on, on these brain organoids, leveraging uh, the brain organoid technology. Uh, so these are um, some of quite rare neurological syndromes. There is no even name for these conditions yet. We're just discovering the genes as we go. And there are others that are more uh, uh, well-known. Rat syndrome is another one that we're working hard on it. Um, CDKL5 syndrome is another one. Um, uh, and, and, and so for each one of them, I mean, we are in different stages. Some, some of them, we are still characterizing the organoids. Some of them, we are already finding like if the gene therapy is working or not. Uh, and, and some of them, we decided to go through a, um, a pharmacological treatment or so screening drugs um, to see if they, um, if they can rescue the phenotypes. So depending on the condition, we are at different stages. So P.T. Hopkins, uh, as, as, as you see, is one that we are already um, uh, on, on a, almost like into, into a clinical stage. Uh, you mentioned in the course of the conversation that this could possibly help in developing, you know, artificial general intelligence. Maybe share your views on that and what's the future roadmap? What comes next? Yeah, so um, one thing that uh, we thought about, and, and there are lots of uh, colleagues who also think about that, is that uh, there is some kind of a learning from the human brain that is very intuitive. Uh, this is something that you, as a newborn, nobody teaches you, uh, but you start learning right away. Um, so we notice that, uh, and, and we don't have uh, a neural basis for that, meaning that nobody understands how the human brain is able to learn. 
by just observing or, 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 or trying an error. That's how you learn how to walk, for example. Um, so how the brain does that? Uh, so if we understand how the brain does that, if we understand how the brain learns, we can apply that to artificial intelligence. Right now, artificial intelligence uses a very rigid um, network uh, for learning, meaning that this network cannot, for example, generalize. So artificial intelligence relies on, um, on, 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 on a specific learning of a specific subject, for example, how to distinguish um, uh, 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 cars um, in, 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 in driverless cars, uh, cars from people. So you have to train the machine to do that. And once the machine is fully trained, um, then it can distinguish cars from people. But now if you add like something else, like a bicycle, it, it cannot apply uh, to a bicycle. It has to learn again. Um, and the human brain does not do that. The human brain learns everything at the same time. Um, so um, the idea is if we leverage the knowledge of how the brain is wired to create that type of learning, maybe we can adapt artificial intelligence to be more human brain-like. Uh, so that would be like a, a huge step on artificial intelligence, not only for the level of learning, but uh, energy efficiency. Our brain is highly efficient. Um, we don't even know how it's so efficient, um, but artificial intelligence is not. It requires tons of energy to do all this learning, tons of time, something that the human brain can learn in a couple of seconds just by observation. Artificial intelligence will take several rounds of learning and tons of energy uh, to acquire that. So how that's possible? If we learn how to do that, we can create artificial intelligence that um, will use uh, a human-like uh, intuition uh, for learning. That would be a game change um, uh, game changer for so many applications. Thank you. Thank you, Professor. Really appreciate you taking time and being part of a podcast. Wish you and the team the very best. I think we're in the cusp of creating some greatness. I think, you know, the entire world is going to change in the next few years. And it's, it's largely because of professors, scientists and thinkers who are pushing the boundaries of what was possible, you know, and we, we're living in exciting times. So thank you for doing what you're doing. Really appreciate you taking time and being part, part, part of the podcast. To my listeners, if you like what you see in here, then please press the subscribe button. Until next time, see you guys. Bye-bye. Thank you, Professor. Really appreciate this. Thank you so much. My pleasure.